Whilst getting them switches in the car all covered in candy paint I'm rolling around H-Town Texas man them hold me down Rolling around H-Town Texas man them hold me down that's right, we're rolling around H-Town today on Deep Point, the extra podcast from Emerging Cricket, where we go into more detail on stories that we didn't have time to explore on the regular weekly edition. I'm your host Nick Skinner, but this time we're crossing to our USA correspondent Nate Hayes, who's been covering all the action from America's National Men's Under-19 Championships in Houston. The event wrapped up last weekend with the Mid-Atlantic Zone's undefeated march to the title, handing the Southwest Zone their first loss of the tournament in the final. Nate starts this review of the comp by interviewing Gordon Ravindran of the Colts side after an eye-catching performance on the last day of competition. Then we hear from ESPN Crick Info's Peter Delapena, as well as longtime American cricket observer Dave Jagannath. Unfortunately, Peter's line was a little scratchy, so please bear with us and enjoy the show. I'm here with Gotham Ravindran, Colts leg break all-rounder. Gotham, six wickets for four runs. Have you ever done anything like that before? Not. Quite like this, I do. This isn't my best bowling figures. I do have a seven for seventeen in the local league, and that was that was on concrete. So that was actually I felt I feel like that was even harder to bowl on a wicket like that because it wasn't turning much. But having an economy rate this low and taking six wickets, I don't. And on a stage like this, on a U nineteen national championship, that this is something I definitely cherish cherish for the rest of my life. Tell me how important this Colts team was to you. Uh, this team was extremely important to me. The coach, uh, Coach Andy Christian, uh, the manager, Vijay, they all gave us such amazing opportunities. The communication was amazing. Uh, we were a team that was coming from all different regions, not like the other teams. They all had the chance to play together and practice together over the years. We were a team with a player from South Africa, a couple players from Pakistan, a couple players from England, and a couple players from India, and then a few players from different regions around the U.S. So for us to be able to come together and play in a tournament like this, it was just amazing. Kudos to the coach and the manager for really bring, allowing us to gel and bring us together. And another thing, I've, I really felt that their communication and they were really clear with their expectations and they gave every player a fair opportunity. So I, I really was able to relish with those opportunities. And, and just, just the concept of the team in general, it must have been an emotional roller coaster for you. Yeah. You know, all of a sudden sure. being included in a team. Yeah. Uh, I was not picked in my own zone. So then I ended up being in that team. So at first it was, it was different for me because I didn't know any of the, any of the guys. Well, I knew a couple of the guys, but still seeing all these players from all these different cultures and all these different areas of the world, uh, it was, it was really different for me. And, Starting like that first day, not knowing anybody, to the last day where we were basically a tight knit family, and then having to say goodbye again. So it was it was really crazy emotional roller coaster. And then forming those bonds on the field, it was it was really it was really fun. It was good fun. On Friday, you played against the South Zone. What was it like playing against guys that you knew really well? Yeah, it was it was quite unique actually because those guys I've been playing with them for a long time. They're some of my closest friends as well. So to see them on the other side, it was it was a pretty different feeling, but it was also one that was quite motivating. I really wanted to be able to play and perform well against my my own friends and my own team. We had we had a tough loss, but still it was a, it was a it was a fun game. The Colts looked like they had a lot of energy in the field. It looked like mm-hmm. you guys were picking each other up and cheering each other on and just yeah. just talking a lot. And what what do you attribute that to? 
that's something that we talk about a lot during our, our meetings. We knew that we were a team that didn't really play together as much. So we wanted to make up for that by just trying to gel together on the field and make it seem like it was really well and truly 11 against one because the Bastion's only one and we're 11. We wanted to make sure that we felt like a unit, even though we hadn't really had the chance to practice together as much. So I believe that mentality and that attitude going to the game really helped us out. What are your personal goals for cricket? I, I want to be able to don the national colors. And that's something that every kid really dreams about growing up. But for me, more than just that, I want to be able to excel in those colors and really contribute and help Team USA win the World Cup. Not just one, not just the under-19 World Cup, but hopefully the men's World Cup in the future as well. Was there anybody in the tournament in particular who impressed you? Well, it was really interesting to see someone like Slade, someone like Cybat. Um, I think especially Slade because he's played first-class cricket in South Africa and he's come from somewhere, a country that, a cricketing nation. And you can just see the experience that he has um, because playing in a country like that, you can tell just it grooms you into a different type of player. And you can see that when he bat in this tournament, just the way he carried himself. And even even Sai, Sai is someone that I've known for a long time, and he was just he, he was batting well throughout the tournament. He was able to really pick the loose balls, and he was hitting, he was scoring runs very easily. So those two those two batsmen really stood out to me. There's been there's been a lot of talk in recent days about how well the the event was organized, how well it was run, how professional it was. Mm-hmm. Does that inspire you and excite you about the future? Mm-hmm. Uh, it definitely does because this is this tournament was extremely well organized and even in a situation that we're in with the pandemic and all, they were able to create a bubble scenario where I felt like it was really safe. I felt there was a very low risk. There was a strict schedule. Everything was on time. And it was just the way the U S cricket, the organization as a whole organized it, even traveling to the facilities and all and how the facilities were maintained themselves. It was just really professional from top to bottom. Minor league cricket, how much does that mean to you and your peers? Minor league's a great opportunity for us. It's our it's our chance to just not only go from the U19s to progress into adult cricket as well. So it's a huge pathway for us. And it's a chance to play against not only youth, but also adults from across the country. So and it's our introduction to franchise cricket, which is a completely, it's a widespread brand of cricket nowadays. For youth, it's like enigma of sorts. So you really want to be a part of it. Yeah. If you could play one format of cricket, what would it be? That's a good question. Um, I've always been a fan of test cricket. So I think I, I really like the format of test cricket, just the longer format, just how you have to be consistent. You have to grind it out. That I really like that grit factor. Do you think the Colts had a good enough team? to do a little bit better if you maybe had a little more time together? Oh, 100%. Uh, We talked about that, I think, the day before our final game and after our final game, because we were just trying to gel together as a team. We had glimpses of really good performances, and we we scored that uh, 310 against in our second game. So that was a really good batting performance. And even our first game, we batted well. It's just we were – and then – we weren't really gelling as a bowling unit because that's where it really takes to be a team. And we were, I think in the final game is when we really came together as a bowling unit and got that team 55 all out. So 
just when we were starting to peak, it was the end of the tournament. So I feel like if we had just one more week, we really would have pulled it together. Awesome. Thanks a lot, Gotham. Thank you. Also, I would like real quick, I would just I just want to thank my family and my coach, Coach Collier, Coach Alvin Collier, and my coach uh, R. Ashwin and uh, Triangle Cricket League and everyone that's really supported me all around the country. Once again, I'm with Peter De La Pena and Dave Juggernaut talking the USA Men's Under-19 National Championships. Peter, you were on the ground there, as usual. What was your overall opinion of the tournament? It was very well organized. I would say um, the standard of, of competition was inconsistent. You had what I would characterize as a couple of really good teams and a, a bunch of average teams and then just in terms of player to player you would you would have within teams you would have three or four really really high caliber players and in the better teams like mid-atlantic or southwest and west zone reds you might have as many as six or seven maybe even eight if you're being generous really really high caliber players and then there was a really big drop off so you would you would see some really amazing cricket, some really amazing catches, some really amazing bowling, some really amazing batting, and then at times you would see some really really sloppy, really poor fielding, mediocre bowling to be polite, and at times also some batsmen who were struggling or or kind of out of their depth at. Uh, times when they were facing higher caliber bowling. The one thing that I, I think a lot of players did struggle with, to, to be fair, was the wind. And I don't know if that translated very well to the stream. I'm sure you could see the jerseys rippling in um, in the picture frame, but I don't think that really does justice to how windy it was. And that was something that a lot of players, in particular the spinners, struggled with in terms of how to bowl, either using the wind at their back or bowling into the wind. I can even remember one instance where a ball, I think it may have bounced three times because a player was bowling into the wind and he just didn't put enough mustard on it and it just held up in the wind and then just died and dribbled, dribbled, dribbled and they had to call a dead ball uh, in one of the games because the wind was just that strong on, on some occasions. And because of that, it, it was to kind of emphasize the point, because of that, you were seeing a lot of full tosses at times players who just couldn't grasp how to utilize the wind or, or how to harness it or get their pace right in terms of, again, with it at the back or blowing it into the wind. The spinners, yeah, really struggled at times. But conversely, I have to give credit to that because at men's level, even with the USA national team at times, I've observed on tours where senior players, experienced players, really struggle to be aware of the conditions that are around them. And utilizing the wind in particular, uh, in, a, in a place like Dubai, some of the matches that were played out at the Sevens Ground in the desert back in the USA Tour back in March uh, 2019 before Division Two in Namibia, 
there, there were some really windy days out there, some sandstorms they were playing in, and it, UAE guys knew how to bowl and uh, with the wind, and they also knew how to bat with the wind. So when the when the wind, you know, they were they were not uh, being um, silly in terms of trying to hit sixes into the wind. If they wanted to go big down the ground, they would wait until the wind was at the back. And then if they were trying to hit into the wind, rather than trying to hit into the wind at the striker's end, that that's the side where they were trying to play ramp shots or scoop shots to utilize the wind to their advantage to play behind the wicket. And I I saw a lot of that from the batsmen. To be to give credit to the batsmen, the bats the batting was at a um, much higher standard than the fielding and the bowling overall. But it wasn't just the technical skills; just the match awareness, the situational awareness to uh, know the conditions. To know which end to take the risk to hit sixes and to play shots in the air or the infield. To know which end. I saw Skander Rohit Sharma do this uh, consistently. He was exceptional at utilizing the wind when he wants to play scoop shots and ramp shots over fine leg. Yasser Muhammad, same thing. When he was playing the reverse sweep for Mid-Atlantic, he knew which end to play it. That would be advantageous to use the wind to his advantage. So there was, there was some thinking batsmen and batting intelligence and shrewdness that was exciting to see, especially when you consider going back to the conversation we all had before the start of the tournament. One of the things that Dave brought up was that the mental awareness and, and just the mental uh, capacity and, and strength and uh, endurance from a batsman at junior level from USA has been something that they've really struggled with over the years. And there were some, definitely some promising signs at this tournament that that may be rapidly changing. How about you, uh, Dave? What, what were your thoughts mostly of the tournament? I think overall, it was a great tournament. Uh, management did a great job, and I have to agree with Peter. Um, there was four, uh, you know, four good team. I didn't want to say this before, but we, I think after watching the tournament, everybody will say there was fair, fairly four very good team, and then there was fair, uh, four weak teams in there. So... I think each group had two or three, uh, you know, I think the group that Mid-Atlantic had had uh, three decent team and the other group had two decent team, you know, and after that, the competition was watered down. I think that was a little bit mean, but I mean, it is, you know. Right. You know, when they get together for the for the national U19 team, it'll be a little more concentrated talent, I, I would imagine, and that, that'll be interesting to follow. Just one other point on, on that, just to follow up on what Dave said. I think it, this is going to be an issue for a long time. It's been this way before. It was this way in the USAC era, and it's going to continue for a long time because when you look at the, the participation numbers, it's a pure numbers game at this point in terms of nationwide. If you pool the regions together, you're only drawing from, at best, maybe 2,000 somewhere in the neighborhood of 1,500 to 2,000 junior players to pick 112 players to represent the eight regions. And just by sheer numbers, that's impossible to draw true elite-level talent. If you compare that to U.S. youth soccer, where the junior participation numbers in youth soccer are over a million junior participants, and, you know, literally baseball and Kiwi ice hockey and uh, you know, CYO basketball, PAL league, um, you know, all those, all those numbers for other sports. Soccer is by far the biggest youth participation sport in, in America for boys and girls. But, you know, basketball, baseball, Peewee, uh, football, Peewee ice hockey, Pop Warner football, those all have 300, 400, 5,000, you know, close to a million 
uh, players participating at junior level, just on the boys' side. And when you have that many players to pick from, that's how you then get, you know, 300 uh, teams worth of Division I NCAA college basketball scholarships and right. 118, 118, you know, teams worth of 90 scholarship players for NCAA football that can then go on to the NFL or NBA or NHL or Major League Baseball. When right. you're drawing from 2,000 players uh, for cricket, you're, you're going to be lucky if you get one or two world-class players out of that. Right. And and picking, you know, a 14-man squad, you really have to be lucky to find 14 elite caliber players. Um, and so until that changes, you're going to ha- run into situations like this where uh, it's really no fault of the players themselves. Um, this is just the, the best of what exists currently. But sure. until those raw the raw volume and the raw participation numbers grow, um, you're, you're going to have situations like this where you'll have an A-team tournament and each team in group play might only really play one seriously challenging match against challenging opposition and the rest will, will not really test them. So, yeah, the only, yeah, I would say, you know, most teams only play two challenging games, one game against the top team in their group and then the, the playoff game because they were matched against like-for-like like, um, right. standard competition. And until that changes, it could take 10, 15, 20, 25 years. You're gonna, you're, you're still gonna have this issue every single year. And I think, I think the more players we get involved, the more youth we get involved, the less, you know. One of the things I see is a lot of people worried about. You have a couple hundred parents and groups of parents in the country who talk about return on investment and things like that, almost as if there's some expectation for their their kids to make something of themselves because they put they put all this money and effort into their their kids training but if you look at the other sports in the country there's no guarantees at all and 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 there really aren't any guarantees here either but the perception is that the perception isn't that there are guarantees but the perception is i'm going to invest this and i'm going to get this and there's no it's there's no promises and the more kids we have playing the more that's going to be incredibly obvious and people aren't going to really have a leg to stand on by complaining about that sort of thing Uh, 100% agree and that's, that's the issue you run into with, yeah, the pay-for-play model like we talked about. Until you get widespread cricket at, at uh, town rec level, again, raw numbers, you know, the, the best athletic talent is going to be remaining and pursuing the, the path that has the least barrier to entry, or the lowest barrier to entry. And at the moment, that's, that's always going to be town rec, soccer town rec, uh, football town rec, baseball, Little League baseball. Basketball. Uh, town rec, uh, basketball, and then, you know, at some point you might run into, you know, when, when you start to get serious, then, then you'll, you know, progress into maybe AAU basketball and uh, AAU baseball and, and travel, soccer, and then you, yeah, you, you get advanced to high school and you're going to high schools where you might move to a town where the, the public high school has a reputation for grooming athletic talent or if your parents are fit more deep-pocketed, you're going to go to a, a private high school or a Catholic high school where there's, a, you know, the, the Catholic sports high school league sure. in certain parts of the country where, you know, they lose a reputation for grooming athletic talent. And some of those schools offer scholarships. Ostensibly, on paper, they're meant to be academic scholarships, but, you know, wink, wink, some of those schools will, will offer scholarships, high school scholarships to, you know, talented athletes. And then, you know, that progresses on to NCAA scholarship level. So, 
you know, all those, all those things matter. Sure. And, um, at, you know, at the moment, as long as, you know, those are all low barriers to entry, the barriers to entry for, for cricket is essentially $500 just to buy the equipment as a startup, you know, kit for your equipment itself. And then another thousand dollars a month plus to join an academy. Right. Um, you know, it, it's, it's very, the only, the only real sports that kind of have that kind of model currently that have a professional pathway in the U.S., you could argue ice hockey and tennis or golf, but those are long established structures. Right. They can right. get away with, they can get away with it because they've, they've been doing it for a hundred years and, um, there's no shortage of talent in any of those sports. Cricket can't afford to get away with that because there's a serious talent shortage right. that needs to be rectified. Exactly. Yeah. So throughout the tournament, oftentimes a player's role on a team might keep them out of the spotlight or limit their chances, but their contributions can be extremely valuable when they're called upon. Are, are there any players that you enjoyed watching in this tournament who might have flown under the radar? Maybe maybe not team of the tournament players, but guys who kind of popped up for you and uh, said, hey, take a look at me. I have a few. I think in the finals, Adi Sharma. I mean, uh, 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 Aditya Sharma from uh, Mid-Atlantic. Uh, with his bring. Uh, Yasir, well, we know him. Uh, we know him. But he actually performed really well with the ball. And uh, Rohit Sharma, I didn't know him at all. Well, uh, according to a lot, a lot of the guys I know, they did, but I didn't. He definitely said, hey, take a look at me. And when they were down... I think 50 something for six. I said to one of my friends uh, I was talking to, I said, the kid is batting good. If he could bat like this to about 150, South is in trouble because we know he already had 100 under his belt. So he definitely said, hey, look at me, for me, batsman wise. How about you, Peter? I mean, we, we talked about. Um... You know, we talked about before the tournament guys that we expected to do well, and I I, I named uh, Simon Kamala and, and Rahul Jarawala just from the standpoint that those two guys were the the two stand-up players in my eyes for going back to 2019, um, and I I just felt they were genuine prospects for for, for senior team cricket with USA going back to, to what I'd seen then, and, and it was exciting to see Sai progress on uh, and get the tournament's uh, most outstanding player award. But um, in terms of guys I, I I didn't know or hadn't seen in person before, um, yeah, Dave hit it on the head. Skander Rohit Sharma was really, really exciting um, simply because at junior level and at senior level, USA has always been blessed with an awful lot of talented openers, but very, very few players who – are skilled middle order batsmen and skilled against spin. And he ticked both boxes. So many times teams have been picked, especially at junior level, where they basically just pick the best best batsman without any regard for batting position and the top run scores without any regard for batting position. And what you wind up with is eight or nine opening batsmen in a 14 or 15 minute squad. And then everybody's, you know, everybody's complaining and moaning and whining to, to each other, and the parents are all upset because I said an opening batsman. He opens for his team. He opens for his team. Why is he batting at number seven or number sure. eight or number nine for USA? Right. And, uh, I, you know, what's going on here? Well, 
That's not going to happen this time around. Yeah. Shannon did it for Ishan Reds. Ishan, Ishan Sharma did it for Mid-Atlantic. Agreed. Exactly. Ishan, Ishan exactly. came into some very difficult pressure-filled situations for Mid-Atlantic, and he finished not out basically every time. Second ball sucks in one innings, but every other innings he finished not out, I believe. Um, you know, that was that was fantastic. He Skanda had three great innings, and then the, the fourth innings he had where he top-scored and got out for 37 he basically played a shot. He, he, he got out of flicking, trying to ramp the final, over fine leg, got caught a fine leg. And the only reason he played that shot is because they were eight eight wickets down, and he was basically running out of partners. And he he just had to try and force force the issue. But if he had a bit more batting support, he wouldn't have been playing that kind of risky shot. And he just would have kept batting and batting and batting. Sure. Um. So those kind of things. That was what stood out to me. And, and you know, even going to the the seventh, eighth, eighth place final, they were the West Ham Blues winless team was, you know, whatever they were, 165 for eight, and they with a 60 plus run, nine wicket partnership. The the number of partnerships, you know, and again in past junior tournaments it was down all out. If, if you got the, if you got the top three or four out, you could just roll over the last seven wickets in in 50 runs. In this tournament, there were so many century partnerships, 50-plus partnerships from the fifth or sixth wicket and lower. You know, fifth wicket, sixth wicket, seventh wicket, eighth wicket yeah. teams that were 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, 100 runs. And that was such a great thing to see. That was a big surprise to me, honestly, it, seeing how many teams would end up, you know, 70 for five or something, and they'd fight back and end up scoring 200 runs. And that was... It, it, it wasn't for me, though. <laughs> to be honest with you guys, it wasn't to be thing. You know, I know some of these teams, and then and then for what Rohit Sharma did in, I think in the first game or the second game. Yeah, and I think it was the first. It in, and then yeah. when he did it in the fourth game, I was like, "Nah, this kid is gonna do it." I think I tell you, I was talking, you know, and I know Mid Atlantic team well, so I know we had a deep bat in order. Like you guys didn't even see Natesh bat. That kid can bat too, right? And he right. can bat long, you know. So all these. You know, I'm surprised with New York last game, though. Very surprised with that game. I don't yeah. know. I guess I know Gatti is a good bowler, an excellent bowler, but if he gets six of them for, what, four runs? Oh, my mm. God. Yeah, that was a great innings for him. Um, yeah, no. And, you know, he, he almost didn't even make the tournament, uh, Gotham. So he, uh, you know, because he wasn't picked for the South team. They are, they had two other leggies they chose over over him. And so the Colts team really, really rescued him. He performed. He really, when he got the chance, he he really stood up. Quick on that. Yeah. I, I just want to add to that point. In, in the past, um, again, in the USACA structure, you had eight true true regions or eight true zones. And there was always inevitable complaining about, you know, some kid got burned, some kid got left out. There was a you know, fishy selection process. It was political. Somebody was looking out for their state kids if, if it's in a region where you've got multiple states or, or territories being represented, you know, ine- inevitably there's some sort of bias that creeps in with, you know, whoever's in charge of chief selector typically would have an overwhelming number of kids from his state or region get selected. And the combines kind of addressed that somewhat um, when the ICC combine structure was in where they opened it up, we weren't going to be held back just by a recommendation or lack thereof from a local coach or a regional coach, if you wanted to try out, the door was wide open and you could prove the local coaches or regional coaches wrong just by showing your talent. Right, right. There needed to, there needed to be there needed to be a return to on-field competition, match play competition 
But I do like the fact, and I hope it, it does stay for the future. I, I did like the Colts squad for that particular reason because on the odd chance that a kid did get overlooked or, or that just the talent is too too deep within a region, you've just got an overload of talent that's within one specific region. There was that outlet for a kid like Gautam Revenge Run to get picked in a Colts squad. And yeah, even even if he get, did get picked in the South Zone, let's say you just said it, there's two other Lexoners. If he's the 14th man in, he might not get many opportunities to bowl. He goes to a, a Colts team where he's he, he is going to get genuine opportunities. And what did he do? He out bowls all the spinners in the in the South Zone where he was um, meant to be from. So going forward, I, I hope that the Colts team is a fixture um, permanently in order to uh, be kind of a safety net for kids from certain regions who might be the last player cut, they might be the 15th or 16th player from their zone. But if they, if they go to a, the Colts team, there is that opportunity for them to, to, to still um, show up at the tournament and, and perform and get the same chances as every other kid. Yeah, I I hope they keep it to like you said. Be in the past, I think they used to create a director's eleven or something like that to forgive extra players a chance too. Do you, do I, you guys, I know it happened a few times. I don't know if it happened every time. Do you guys think this will happen for the for the men's senior groups? We can only hope, brother. I hope so. Well, well, I I think it, again it makes sense because if you're if you're if you're running a, a tournament and you invite just six teams. Either you need to do a, a six team, everybody plays everybody uh, round robin, which is going to take a bit more time to play. And when you consider the fact that these guys are essentially amateurs and they're going to have to take a week off of work, if you make it a, a five-match six-team round robin, you could potentially be stretching that into a second week, which is untenable um, to ask guys to take off that much time at work. But if you make it eight teams, then do it like the juniors, put it into two groups of four, uh, where you play three matches and then a, a playoff match, you can get it uh, done with in, in five or six days and make it a more streamlined event. Uh, because if you try and do a six-team event with two groups of, of three, you're only playing two group matches in the playoffs, and that's just that's not enough to evaluate and, and really judge people on. So um, I think that the Colts premise is something that it can easily be applied not just to junior level, but to senior level as well. Guys, I need to touch on something for a second that I noticed I didn't uh, dig. The leading spin bowler, who's first from to- uh, South, he got he, he didn't play the last game. As a coach, would any one of you have done that? Uh, Elton Tucker Jr.? Uh, I, I, can, I can tell you, uh, oh, I can just give you some insight on that. The teams, uh, the managers and the coaches were, were instructed that every player had to play at least three games. So yeah, that 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 I I know that that could be said, but I don't want to be too straightforward here. But at the end of the day, it's your leading wicket taker. He actually he did he bowled really well, and he had a chance to get away, uh, take home the best bowler award. Yeah, he did have that you chance. Could, You're right. You, you could have sit another guy down and let him play four because there's other guys who play four games. It's trick. It's tricky. They they have a lot of yeah, a lot of bowlers I, on that I, team. I know. I know it's tricky, but I mean, when you're in a that good of a position, I don't. I don't think you want to rest them. I would. I would have liked to see him get the chance myself. But but yeah, I do. Yeah. I do know that that team bowling is their strength. Everybody on that team bowls. 
Aryan Shah, their wiki keeper, he bowled two two innings himself. So it's tricky, but I, I definitely was was pulling for him to take the lead. I thought I thought he could do it. Of course, Sanjay Krishnamurthy came out the last game and bowled well too, and he bowled well the entire tournament. He didn't really bat up to his potential, but it was definitely a spinner's tournament. It, especially, it seemed like off break did especially well. I I thought, regardless of uh, Elton Tucker's uh, junior stats, I thought Sanjay Krishnamurthy stats or no stats, he was hands down the best bowler. A period I saw all week. Pace was been he he looks. I know he got the the minor league MVP more so for his batting. Sure, but technically, technically he was a bit very good um, sound bat, batsman. His uh, technique yeah. is solid, but I found that there were quite a lot of times where he was he wasn't trying to smash the ball or slog the ball. He was technically very correct, but he would too often he had so many dot balls where he would just middle it straight to a fielder. Right. Uh, he just he just would time the ball. The ball would be inside. He 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 lean forward to get you know if it was short he'd go back and he he timed the ball. He timed the daylight out of the ball straight to a fielder. And one of the things that stood out about Standa Rohit Sharma by comparison, Standa played you know um, Sanjay played with soft hands, but soft hands straight to fielders. Standa played with soft hands, placing the ball exceptionally well. Standa knew where the fielders were at all times. He was gliding. He was. He was deflecting. He was flicking every anything Standa wanted to do, manipulating the ball around the field. He could do basically at will. And Sanjay at times, he needs to work on that. And by by comparison, his spin bowling just technically, he's got a very beautiful action, a very repeatable action. He puts his whole body into it when he's bowling. It's it's not just throwing his arm over. If, If you watch him. Up close in a person, and I don't know if it translates on onto the stream, but he gets his whole front arm in. He gets incredible hip rotation. Uh, he gets you know a big leg drive and a follow through, and he just he just puts his whole body into bowling spin. And because that, the thing that stood out to me was he gets very very sharp dips. The ball he looks like he plays the ball very nicely, but then all of a sudden the ball just dips dramatically and that's a product of his action and just aesthetically aesthetically he looked the best spin bowler and and statistically it was supported and i think i think he's a brighter prospect as a spinner at senior level just because of, of the way he his bowling action is i think he's, he's got a much more promising future at senior level as a spinner um than he does as a batsman i mean he, he, right he's still he's still giving me classes an all-rounder Right, uh, right. He, he did reasonably well. I just think I'm much more excited about him as a spinner, and that just that just for just quick to wrap up the way, and that just adds to the spin bowling that the left the left arm spin depth that they take it for you guys. They were you got Nash Kenjigay, Kareem McGoar, right? Uh, Christian Worthy. That's that's a very exciting thing for USA. Wait, 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 Pete! You put him in all the way in the national team already. No, no. What I'm saying is, in the, in the same way, in the same way that Asai Mukamala is a is a exciting prospect, a prospect for the senior yeah. team, mm-hmm. and Rahul Jarawala is an exciting prospect for the senior team, and Raymond Dar, and Raymond Dar, absolutely. Uh, we haven't mentioned him yet. Raymond Dar, a fantastic runner. He was very assured um, opening the innings. I I just think Christian Markey, even though he's batting at three for his region and was batting high up and opening the cricket, batting it at under sixteen for. Karnataka, I think his his brightest 
future prospects potentially going forward to break into the USA men's team would be as a spinner. And, and very much the same way that if you think back 10 or 11 years ago, Muhammad Gauss out of the Atlantic region, Muhammad Gauss came up uh, through junior cricket and under 19 cricket as a batsman. He was right. named the tournament MVP, I believe, at, at the 2009 Under-19 National Championship. He was named the MVP as a batsman. He was the leading run scorer. Right. But when it got to when it got to senior level, he was uh, an off spinner primarily right. for USA. Right. So, so things things can change between age 17, 18, 19, 20 from when you transition sure. from junior level to senior level. And, and I think I think potentially that could happen with the Sanjay Krishnamurti. And not just that, but he's got a longer history as as a as a bowler. In fact, so yeah. uh, I've only his got... action. I have to give him credit for his action. His action is a perfect uh, spin bowler action, like you mentioned, Pete. I did watch him with his action, and it's all the farms is there. So, so definitely, you know, one thing I noticed writing about the tournament every night, um, writing about the teams, it, how refreshing it was every once in a while this, to be able to say Reds and Blues and Colts, the other zones. You think they could benefit from a nickname? Um, Mid Atlantic something. Um, uh, yeah, probably. I guess. I guess I I could benefit from from them having a nickname. <laughs> yeah, I mean, definitely. I I I will think so. Definitely. I'll go, I'll go back to one of my previous interviews where I said, if you want to get somebody's attention, call them the Neon Blue Smurfs. Pete <laughs> <laughs> so, can board. probably come up with some good nickname that suit the region. Because I don't know, you know, I live in Jersey, so for me, it's Garden State someday. You know, I always come so, up with, for me, it's always Garden State. The, uh, the Mid-Atlantic, the, the, the D.C. to New Jersey political kickback. You know. Uh, yeah, there you go. There you go. You I guys like are it. from down south, Nate. You can come up with some down south. Um, there you uh, go. You know, something that represents the south. The, the Beltway Kingmakers. There you go. There's your Mid-Atlantic. Anything, anything but the Super Kings and the uh, <laughs> oh my the rising God. Super Giants. Oh, or whatever. Right now, we could be the South Pine Pollen. You know, that's you why the, you know the history of Jersey and these places more than I do. So you could probably come up with a better name that suit the history of the area. I realize I forgot to say who player was that I enjoyed watching who might have yeah. fl- flown under the radar. So I'll just go ahead and say that now. AJ Amadi. I thought he was a lot of fun to watch. He, he bowled well, and I, I don't know. He was just kind of always full of action when he was batting. I, I enjoyed watching for, for the Reds. Another right-arm off-break bowler who, who had a good tournament, taking five wickets. He only bowled 16 overs at a 3.44 RPO. But he yeah. he was a lot of fun to watch, I, I felt like. I, I would agree, and I think there was some Facebook comments about him not playing in that. That decisive game, that um, thing, why he didn't play in that game. So I will agree. Again, I understand the, the dilemma that the organizers had and the coaches. I mean, it, it, it's slightly different from men's level where you can argue that you should be picking your best 11 if it's a regional zonal tournament. Whereas if it's if it's junior kids, you still want to have, even at, even at, regardless of the fact that it, it's ostensibly an elite level lead standard national event, you still do want to have right. some sort of emphasis and encouragement to make sure everybody's getting a chance and to I, play. I, so. I will add to that, Pete, I have no objection with that two-game policy. You know, I, I, I yeah. definitely think it was it was, it was was needed because I see what happened. I mean, I know what, I don't technically know, but I think it will help 
to keep players wanting to be go there. Nobody wants to, you know, spend money and go there and sit down. Yeah. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah, so. yeah, I, I agree. If it's just a, if it's the men's senior stuff, then you know it is what it is. You you, you kind of just have to be happy to be there to a degree. And uh, but, you know, so I was happy when I heard everybody have to play. It's like baseball. It's in baseball in in little league. Everybody have to bat at least. I think play an inning, which is a great thing. You don't want nobody to yeah, go to. Yeah, 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 exactly. I mean, when I was growing, up, I don't know if it's changed, but yeah, when I was growing up. You had to, everybody had to bat at least once, and you had to play at least two innings in the field in Little yeah. League, where it's, it's extended, the games are six innings in Little League. And you know, cricket is new; it's still, in a sense, new to a lot of people. And a lot, and again, people are spending a lot of money. Again, you don't want to go there to just warm the bench or run right. water. Right. Yeah, I remember in in community baseball when I first started playing baseball, it was like you would have nine in the field, but you'd have thirteen people on your team, so your batting order was you bat all thirteen. So you you know. I always wanted a bat leadoff just because you got a better chance of getting more bats yeah, than everybody else. <laughs> well, in, in Little League, they have, their, they have their good players. I mean, whenever they do the draft, you, you know, they see who can who's a one or two bat, uh, at bats player, and then they have the ones who they're going to, the main ones, which and I think is pretty cool how they manage it, to be honest with you. Right, and right. I, and, and at Youth Lead here, I tried to get that going, but, you know, they they're not really falling for that yet. Maybe I'm a, a thing because I'm telling them like you can't expect a 12 year to go leave his house and his father or his mother drive him to go sit at a, bit, a cricket field all day and he just bowl one over and field the rest of the game. Yeah, that's it, never going to fly with new kids. That's with with new kids' families either. You know, you know the coaches have to be able to manage 11 or 12 or whatever players they will get out there to keep this game growing. Yeah. I'll give you a personal example. Okay, um, and how that, why I think that is necessary because growing up, I made my, we had a triborough tri rec league. So it was, it, I grew up in Kinnelon, New Jersey, and it was Kinnelon, uh, Kinnelon, Butler, Riverdale, the three, the three boroughs, triborough Little League. And I made my uh, Little League 10 uh, year old all star team, uh, 10, 10, 11 year old all star team to go on the pathway to the Little League World Series in Williamsport. I was, you know, I made the All-Star team. I was I was one of the best players in the league, right? You get to the All-Star team, and, and you for, kind of forget as a kid, like, everybody else is just as good as you if they got picked in that team. Right, right. Um, exactly. And I was, uh, I because I was one of the younger kids on that team, because it was 10, 10 or 11-year-olds. So basically it was, if, if you, there was the minor league and the major league. If you played in the minor league, it was, I think, 10, 10 it was like 7 to 10-year-olds. And if you played in the major league, which was 11 to 11, 12, 11, 12, right? 11, 12, 11, 12, 13 year olds, whatever it was yet. Then it, if, if you, if you were a 10 year old who signed up to play in the major league, there was only a handful of kids who, who did that. And so basically it was an automatic that um, all the kids, regardless of how much they played or didn't play in the major league, if they were 10 years old, they were automatically picked in the um, all-star team. For the for the ten eleven year olds, anyway, um, I I got picked in the All Star team, but then I was I was a kid who basically rode the bench. I was right. quite annoyed, and I'll never forget. And, and you know, there's so many stories about nepotism in in cricket and how that affects kids. I I sympathize with those kids fully because I'll never forget there was the kid who played shortstop, and I I played shortstop. I played third base. I played first base because um, I had a strong arm. So. 
I was always on the left side of the infield. The kid who played shortstop in our all-star team was the coach's son. Yeah, and, all, always, man. <laughs> and 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 I and my in my opinion, in quite a few opinions of a few other kids, he was not a very good player, and he had a very weak arm. Yeah. And the only reason he was the only reason he played every single game in the all-star competition tournament that we had. And, and he, he started in shortstop and played every single inning and every team out basically because he was the coach's son. And so I'm sitting on the bench. I got, I got the bat once I came into the sixth inning in, in a game and I got a, I got a single, I got an RBI single. I'll never forget this because this is my last baseball series. That's what I'm getting at. And then I was put into left field for the final inning and we, we, we lost in, in the bottom of the sixth. The other team had a game, uh, winning rally to take the lead from us. And then the next game, again, I got the bat once, and then I was imme- I played in left field, was immediately taken out, and I never, I never got to play again. And that, that experience was so discouraging and so frustrating, and, and I was so angry that this, this kid who was, who was basically there because he was the coach's son and the coach was looking out for his kid uh, to the detriment of the other kids, not not just myself, but a lot of other kids were quite angry, and their parents were quite upset about this. I never played baseball again. I I quit. I stopped playing. Right, right. Uh, and I I I I don't know if I regret it because I I kept busy with ice hockey and, and tennis, and and now I'm involved with cricket. But I know firsthand the impact that can have psychologically on on a kid and it doesn't matter if you're 10 years old or you know now you're 17 18 19 and you're in high school and you're 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 trying to play for usa if you're not getting the opportunities there's at times a political angle to it that could that can be extremely um hard to deal with and hard to wrap your head around as a kid and so i'm happy that usa cricket took some measures to try and prevent that in, in the best ways that they could for this event and right. kept that way going forward. Right. And and like you said, nepotism isn't just, just in cricket. It's it's in every yeah. sport. Every, it's in every, it's every everywhere. Sport. Every sport the, 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 corruption. The biggest problem is cricket can't really afford to chase people away like that. Like exactly, baseball, my brother. Exactly. Like P- Peter Peter, you stopped playing baseball because of that, but um there's still there's still tons of kids playing baseball. There's gonna be two there's gonna be a hundred kids signing up for every age group. Right. Yeah, there's still there was still a half million uh, you know, kids across America playing Little League, so there was nobody shed any tears for me. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I remember. I have stories very similar to yours. I think everyone who played did. I remember going to my All Star team for the same, you know, same sort of thing, and I had played. Now, what sucked was the the coach on my regular team's son played the position I wanted to, you know, that I was best at on our on my regular team, and I felt better than him, so I didn't play that position on my regular team. And then I get to the All Star team, and the same thing happened, except it was like all the coaches on the team, their kids played played all the positions. Well, but All Star team always have eight eight coaches' kids, right? It, yeah, <laughs> exactly. And so I I remember put me in center field for the practices. And I, I was diving everywhere, trying to trying to put put my name on the, uh, you know, in their minds. I was trying to make every play I could. And I remember one at the end of practice, one of the coaches was like, whose son was like, like, like you said, he just wasn't very good. He's he he says he, he like used me as an example. He was like, you know, we all got to work hard. And he's like, look at Nate over here. He's not really all that great. He's not good enough to play <laughs> shortstop, but he hustles. <laughs> 
like crazy. And so we're probably we're gonna we're gonna try to find a spot for him. So I practiced, you know, all week at center field. Then they put me in left field. I'd never played left field before. So it was, you know, and and all of a sudden the balls are are like hooking. over your head. So they're hooking because when when someone pulls the ball in baseball and you're playing, you know, down the line on the left field, and they hit it real hard, that ball that ball tails quite a bit. And so it, it took me a little bit to get used to that all of a sudden. But yeah, it's it's it, it's not you know everybody's got everybody's got that problem. Every sport has that problem, especially in the youth stuff. And and so it's good that they have this these rules. You know, trying to get the guys in the games uh, in a tournament like this. Uh, we've talked, Dave. You and I talked a lot this week about man, how cool would it be if they did a single group round robin where they play every every team plays everyone, and you know that would just it, it would be so cool. But but as cool, Peter, yeah. Peter mentioned earlier, it's just it just isn't really possible with the with the schedules, and these are kids I, that need to go to school. I mean, this year we could have probably pulled it off, but I guess we you know I, I don't think we're going to be able to pull it off. <laughs> Any other year, because everybody's home, you know. Yeah, it's and, it's tricky. Yeah, but uh, at the end of the day, we got to give credit to the the guys. They did a great job with the tournament. So right, and, and, and the ca- the calendar coming up is is pretty pretty darn full. You know, it. But but the the, the one thing is that, like we we talk about with more games. More games will show us more players who can actually go on to help us qualify. Yeah, you know, you know. I mean, everybody have always have a handful of players who they think, but half of the time it doesn't ever it doesn't work out that way. We right. need to see more players. Like you know, I mean, I know they came in in this game with quite a few players on their on their list, and many of them didn't show up. Few of them didn't show up. So true, true. And the introduction of some more formal formal stuff. Uh, who was it? Somebody on Facebook was talking about how they were you know, reviewing with the umpires how they did every game and, right. you know, talking to the captains after every game and, and things like that are all excellent. Yeah, it teaches that. See, our our youngsters, it doesn't understand what it is to be at the next level. Right. It's like they get to qualifiers and they're learning. I think they it was Bert. I think it was Bert, Bert said that. Bert Cockley said that, I believe, on, on social media somewhere. Yeah. I believe it was him. Yeah. But those things are all good. I think they had like big meeting after every game and all that stuff. So right. those things are definitely all good. You know, I mean, the, the one of the biggest uh, thing that's been missing in in our cricket, sometimes everybody focuses so much on training. Right. But talking, talking, lecturing, it's it needed because a lot of our boys, even though they, they think they know the game, they don't know the game. I've seen that many times when coach start talking to them and they're like, huh? Oh. I didn't know that part. I didn't right. know that. It, you know, so them just sitting there and listening to lecture or asking questions, they will learn a lot. Yeah, yeah. And learning how to take the pressure and all that stuff is, is valuable in a tournament like this. Yeah, but I, 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 yes, definitely, man, definitely. Peter, who who did you think of all the players is the closest to playing in the senior team? I would say... I think long long term again, Simon Kamala is, is long term is is a very very promising prospect. I don't think he's necessarily quite ready. Perhaps he, you know he may be two to three years away for the men's team. And in Skander Rohit Sharma, he reminds me a lot of Aaron Jones. Again, somebody who that doesn't look rushed, doesn't look flustered, comes in in some very dicey situations. And 
doesn't try and smash his way out of trouble, just adapts to the situation, is capable of, of, of playing several different styles depending on who he's batting with. He batted very differently alongside A.J. Amati than he did compared to how he batted alongside Adil, Adil uh, Shivakumar in the, in the game against South Zone. There were two very, very different kinds of innings. Right. Um, so we've got that adaptability, but I, if I had to pick somebody, we haven't mentioned yet, Slavin Stodden. I think from what I saw from him, I have not seen a player at junior level pick length as quickly as he does. You could tell the upbringing he has had playing in the school system in South Africa and the uh, amount of first class exposure that he's had. It, it just was shown quite brightly in, in these matches. You know, regardless of the fact that he's been developed in South Africa in terms of his junior cricket, whether it's a player from who's come from overseas or a player who's domestically developed in the U.S., in terms of playing in a junior level event or playing for U.S. under 19 at that level, I've never seen a, a U.S. eligible player take length as early as he does, and because of that, he just his hands were so soft because he just had so 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 much time to play the ball. And he, he just looked like I, I I don't know if I would go so far as to say he looked bored, but he just he, he just looked very um, unflustered in much of his uh, time batting. His 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 ability in particular within that against spin bowling um, was was exceptional. He didn't necessarily use his feet an awful lot. He didn't he 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 did come down the track at times and use his feet at times. And there, there were some times when he swept as well. So he did show those skills against spin bowling. But more than that, his use of the depth of the crease, just judging the length so quickly and then getting onto the back foot, getting onto the front foot and using the depth of the crease against spinners was exceptional. And I think he's the closest to being ready for the men's game out of any player I saw there this week. And I think... Not just as a middle order batsman, I, I you know I can I can envision him batting alongside Aaron Jones at at um, five or six uh, if you pushed him into the team immediately. Not not only would he fill a middle order role and somebody who's capable of batting it against Finn, which he was constantly struggled with outside of Aaron Jones in the middle order. I think he would fill a need as a wicketkeeper. The the evidence that you know in terms of recent history, Akeem Dotson, Jasper Malhotra, Ibrahim Khalil. And, and actually, Homeraj, none of them have really demonstrated any measure of consistency or exceptional return in terms of performances for, you know, when it comes to scoring half centuries, let alone centuries. You know, actually, Homeraj has been in the team now for quite a significant number of matches, and he's never scored a 50. I know, I know this was, you know, batting against junior-level junior, junior level players, under-19 players, but I just saw an awful lot of things to like about Slade Van Stott in, in person. And he's, he's played first class cricket already in South Africa, so he does have experience at senior level. And I just think he's somebody who could, um, it would not be a bad idea to fast track him into the men's team. And at age 17, you know, that doesn't mean anything to me because Steven sure. Taylor was 16, 16 when he first played for USA. Right. So I don't think, I don't think there would be any reason to, uh, to hold the slate spin not back for the men's team just because he's 17. Pete, question. You were there with him at the ground. Did you talk to him? Is he fully committed or what is it? What is his deal? Is he going back to South Africa and then come back if selected, which most likely will be? Well, I mean, 
know, he had family. He had relatives there. His parents weren't there this week, but he did have relatives that were in, in Texas that were there this week uh, in terms of uh, relatives on his mother's side. His mother is American. So that's how he qualifies to play for USA. So through his mother's side, his, his mother's cousins and relatives, um, some of them came to the ground this week. And uh, also his sister was at the ground because his sister, I was told, uh, is a student at the University of Texas, Austin. So he does have some close family links in not just in the USA, but Texas in specifically. Texas. You know, yeah. It's not. It's not like he's got you know his mother's from Maine or Montana or something, right? Uh, you know, he's got family in Texas. If that's where a lot of cricket activity is going to be happening going forward, and they want to you know re- renovate Airhawk Stadium and uh, develop a high performance center, and the other thing to keep in mind is that South Africa, uh, cricket South Africa, is abandoning the first class. I'm sorry, they're, they're abandoning the the franchise cricket structure. And they're going back to the provincial system. And, and that means that there are going to be, I don't know, somewhere between, it could be between 40 and 60 or 70 fewer uh, professional contracts to hand out to players uh, sure. going forward. Right. And so if, if, there, if there are fewer contracts to hand out and you take into consideration, not just fewer contracts overall, but you take into consideration the quota uh, factor and, and what, right. how that impacts player selection, it wouldn't be unreasonable to think that Slade Van Staden's future lies Here. in the U.S. and uh, and not in South Africa, regardless of his um, skill level. He will be a great addition. It's just about knowing if he's committed or not. You know, you get all those all, all those test players and, and internationals who took contact contracts to go to uh, England. I mean, it, it wasn't that for you know that they left for England because they weren't any good. You know they were good enough to play for South Africa, and, and they left and and left the national team behind because there was there was better money to be made in in England and more security in England. Sure. So you know if if with the the age structure in MLC and USA cricket contracts, I know the contracts were reduced for the USA players, and COVID was used as an excuse for that. But if if the contracts <laughs> are are brought back to a a commensurate pay scale with regards to the number of internationals. USA plays going forward when the COVID restrictions for international cricket are, are lifted, and that looks promising for this summer and, and beyond, then it would not be unreasonable and, and, and it would be prudent for USA to offer him a contract as a long-term um, prospect and somebody who they can invest in and, and be a long-term player, invest in him now at age 17, and he can be a, a 10, 15-year player for the national team. Right, right. Yeah, and plus he's already got a fan club, uh, PJ, driving several hours to, to see him, you know? <laughs> there you go. We talked about batsmen. We talked about middle-order batsmen. We talked about Slade. We talked about spinners. Uh, who do you think was the best best fast bowler in the tournament? Rohan Postanapalli. I would just say him, and, and one of the things that I would I would say to back it up is, yeah, he looks sharp on camera, looks sharp on the stream, looks looked sharp from the boundary. But I asked after the tournament ended yesterday, I asked quite a number of players from the other teams, not not your team, but you know from the other teams, who who stood out to you? Who, who would you say was the batsman that impressed you the most? And the other team, who would you say was the, the spinner that impressed you the most, or the spinner that you found most difficult to, to bat against? You know, who was, who was the, the fastball or who you found most difficult challenging to, 
debates, and you would get some different answers. Who was the most impressive batsman that you would use in the field and played against? Um, you would get some different answers for the batsman. You would get some different answers for who was the most difficult spinner you faced. Um, for the, te- for the teams, for the players from the teams that faced Weston Reds, uh, it was it was basically unanimous. If you were in that group, everybody said the toughest bowler, the, the most um, difficult bowler, face to face was was Rohan Posenapali. And so, I put a lot of stock into what the players themselves have to say when those questions get asked. Right. And that was basically a unanimous answer. Was was that Adi Gupta's answer too? <laughs> <laughs> I tell you what. I tell you what. <laughs> He 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 got he turned some eyes he he turned some heads yesterday when you know when you when you when you evaluate a player and and you know players are saying the toughest forward to to the base and the best forward is Ron Postnapoli. I tell you what, the selectors were paying attention to uh, uh, Adi Gupta and he may have earned himself an invite to if, if they're going to hold a camp of twenty to thirty players, you know, as 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 the next phase of of narrowing down the list. To, to pick a final 14 or 15 in squad. I think Adi Gupta earned himself an invite to the next phase of, of the, uh, the, the reduced um, number of players uh, for a, a shortlisted camp based on that inning because that was, he, he troubled everybody. Ron Rosnapoli troubled everybody all week long. And to do that in the way that he did against him uh, by Adi Gupta, that was, that was impressive. Well, and I don't care if it, I don't care if it was a third place game and and you know they weren't playing for the championship or whatever whatever like I don't care what he did yeah. nobody else did all week and that was that was special and that third place uh, game had value man I will put some value on that game I, I don't think Dave and I are, are surprised at all about Adi's performance there no we didn't because we were surprised that he didn't score earlier yeah and yeah so that was his last chance because he was short of runs and he he made a count and to do it against the best bowler. That that's the kind of batting, and and specifically who we did it against. That'll earn you an invite to the next uh, phase of progression on the path to potentially get picked for you as the under nineteen. Hey Pete, uh, question: Your dear, uh, how was the uh, the fast bowler from New York, uh, Vishal? I don't know his last name, but I know his first name was Vishal. The opening bowler, uh, Ida Palapati. Yeah, something like that. Vishal, 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 and I, Ida Palapati. Come on, Dave. Come on. You got you got to know these South Indian names. What you got no excuse. You know, come on. You've been Bro, around all these I, kids. I'm not. Yo, ask them. I'll be giving them nicknames. If I if I can get these punctures to see, I have this upbringing. No, as man, an ice no, hockey no. fan, as, as, an, as, an, as an ice hockey player, as an ice hockey fan, knowing all these long and complicated Russian names from Russian uh, sure. hockey stars, I had yeah. I had a very good uh, training as as a youth. Us West Indians have nickname for everybody. If we can't, use, uh, you know, we never use the right name. I'm not. I'm not intimidated by one of these long South Indian names or Sri Lankan names. Michelle Pranay in the Palapati. There you go. He was. He was good. Uh, I don't think he was in the same class as as uh, Rohan Bosanapali, but he was. He was good. Right. There were, you know, there, were there were a couple of bowlers that were like. You know, if you if you if you look take it, uh, Rohan Postnapoli and, and Avi Ram Bali from the guard from, from Texas, who he played for USN in nineteen two years ago. They were they were basically the two standouts of the of the fast bowlers, and then right. everybody else like everybody else was in kind of like a, a large grouping bunching below them. 
What about the uh, Ish, Ish Ali? Yeah, Ish, Ish, Ali. Ish Ali, and I, I would put Hisham Ali in that in that punching just. Uh, he was a lot of fun to watch him. You know, he, he, was, he looked good know, on his first spell. What I would say about him is he statistically he looks quite poor. True. And you needed to you needed to see him in person because if you just look at his stats, you would you would never pick him for progressing forward. But he looks like somebody who's got some raw materials to work with. That if he got some better coaching and is surrounded by better players, he's somebody who has got some, like I say, raw talent. That if it's refined, uh, he could be somebody that that is exciting. Um, that he, could, could potentially get picked for USA. He had a couple spells there that were just fantastic. You know, throughout once one over that he had that was really really great to watch. One of the best overs of the whole tournament. I, I can't remember who he got. Who he, he bowled him. I forgot the sequence, but basically it was like back of length, back of length, bouncer, and then and then top of off stumpy bowled him. It was perfect. Every ball was per- about four balls in a row were just perfect. Yeah, he just he looks he looks the part, you know. Wait, what about the championship team? What about they? What about the the main fast bowler? I you know the fast bowlers on the Mid Atlantic were disciplined. The pace was yeah. No, nobody blew me away in terms of pace, but throughout the tournament, and it wasn't just in the final, but, you know, the final was emblematic of how they operated through the tournament. They were just very disciplined. They were well-coached. Earl Daly is the coach. Um, they were well-coached, well-schooled, well and just being disciplined. Right. Uh, and, I, and I would argue that on the batting side as well. You know, yeah, they had Simon Kamal and Ishan Sharma uh, were staying out, and, and Yasser Muhammad had snuggety uh, little contribution but i outside of sai mukamala i don't think there was anybody there that really like knocked my socks off but but they played the most intelligent cricket and the most disciplined cricket and they made the fewest mistakes at under 19 level sometimes that's all it takes because uh, kids are, are lacking in experience in a lot of ways but these kids from the very first match the way they approached that chase against cold Especially that partnership between uh, Ishan Sharman and Rudvik Behera, there were you know that's a situation that a lot of teams would have panicked in, and they didn't panic. That set the tone for the rest of the tournament. Sure, you know if 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 they could come up with this partnership like that in the middle order, um, and just be disciplined and be smart, then uh, and backing that up in the field, that that set the tone for the rest of the tournament. On the bowling side, there was nobody that, like I said, that, that was like I was like floored by. But they just they were impressive in their mental discipline approach and their discipline. Yeah, you, and sometimes and sometimes it's the discipline that you need to get you where you want to be. Peter, you you mentioned Valsa Magari, who who already was with the U nineteen team once. There's some other guys who've been in the team before. I thought maybe like like Rockwindar. I thought. It goes to show that maybe having a couple of cycles in with the U19 team is beneficial. I mean, obviously that's going to pay off. I think that's the perspective of it. But I, 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 if you're going to lose good players by doing that, it can hurt. I don't. I don't think they have a divine right to just automatically be in the team just because they were in the team last time. No, 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 no. What, what I'm saying is like I see a lot of under 19 teams take they took a few younger players. Who can who can go to the next qualifiers? That's okay. Oh uh, no, 
No, but my my point is like just because the guy was in the team two years ago doesn't mean like he just automatically. Of course. You know, because right. because like I said, there was that example of the kid who was in the team in 2017, and they essentially picked him for 2019, and only because he was the only returning player who was age eligible, and then he sat on the bench all tournament. Well, yeah, yeah. I think I just think that the guys who did perform, who were there last time, it's it's just it's great to have them stepping up and 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 taking that next step. We can assume they're going to be there. We'll we'll see for sure. But they certainly did. A couple of them certainly did stand up this tournament, and and I think maybe that that prior experience helped them perform in the clutch. And, and that alone, these 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 youngsters has been playing a lot of age group cricket amongst themselves. So they get to have fun. They get to express themselves. They're not just playing with adults where they don't right. get to express themselves. You know, I yeah. think age group cricket helped a lot over the past six years. Right. I don't know how much it will help us at the international level in the qualifiers. Yeah. But at this level, this is what I was talking about with Mid-Atlantic when I say, hey, our boys are ready for, for I put them at the top because I know they have the experience. Right. They, they play a lot of cricket and know what it takes to win. So that concludes Nate's discussion with Peter and Dave and today's episode of Deep Point. On behalf of the team at Emerging Cricket, thanks for tuning in. And remember that you can, of course, subscribe in the usual audio apps for regular podcasts, keeping you up to date with news from all over the world of Emerging Cricket. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram for loads more great content. Bye for now. If you ever go to Houston, boys, you better walk right. And you better not squabble. And you better not.